0: It's great to see you here this morning happy Thanksgiving i hope uh, hope that you had uh, a great time with uh family and friends. I know a lot of us had family come in uh, from out of town and and gather and it was a it's a great time to get together. Have you had enough uh turkey yet? just curious I don't know about you, but I've had all the turkey I can handle I'm just I'm, I'm, I've been turkeyed out. Thanksgiving is a great time for us to just gather together and, and stop and consider and remember the blessings of God in our lives. Amen? Well, you know, last week, uh, Pastor Steve wrapped up our Sermon on the Mount series from the Gospel of Matthew. And for the last several months, we've been working our way through Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And as he just shared with us, next week we're moving into the Christmas season sermon series. And then in January, we're going to begin a several-month series in the book of Philippians. So that will be really something to look forward to uh, as we dive deep into what Paul says to the Philippi church. But um, since today we're kind of sandwiched in between sermon series, I just wanted to take some time this morning... In the light of Thanksgiving, the season that we're in and we're coming into the Christmas season, I wanted to take some time this morning just to encourage us, just to remind us of some things. I want to stir your heart up in thankfulness to God one more time for all that He's done for you. I'm not going to share any new revelations or new ideas or concepts today. My hope is that everything I say to you this morning are things you already know, things you already have heard many times over and you already believe Um, my hope is that this is just review but as we review i believe god wants us to stop and consider this morning i think he wants us one more time to think about the beautiful truth of who we are in christ what it means to be in christ if you're a longtime follower of jesus or maybe you're just a brand new christian just brand new to your faith We all need constant reminders of the truth of who we are in Christ. Because as we go through the day, every day in our lives, we fight the battle of day-to-day life. It's easy, I think, for us to forget who we are. It's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? It's easy to be overwhelmed by my circumstances. And it's encouraging, I believe, to just stop and consider, to remember what God has done to remember to say thank you for all his blessings. Thank you. How do you respond to the question, what are you truly thankful for? I'm sure we all say things like, my family, my spouse, my job, my health, God's blessings, the Cleveland Browns. (laughs) We should be thankful for all of those things. Maybe the Browns, when the season is over, will be thankful, right? I'm so thankful that God has given me such a wonderful wife, such great kids. I love my wife and kids. He's given me loving parents. He's given me this, he's allowed me to live in this nation where we can gather this way every weekend and worship God freely. I thank him for that. I thank God for this church. I thank God for you. You are my family. Many of my friends, and closest friends, are in this body. You're my family. I thank God for you, my family. You've been there for me during the times of my stress and trouble. You've been there for me during the times of my success and joy, and I just thank God for New Life Church. I know we all have things to be thankful for. And, you know, being thankful is important because as we thank God for what He has done in our lives we are agreeing with him that he's in control. We're agreeing that our lives are dependent upon him and that we can't do it alone. So it's good to take some time to just stop and consider his blessings and give him thanks. And often that's not as easy as it sounds, is it? Because I think most of the time it's Easier to be distracted by the, by the rush of our day, the, the crush of our schedule. We're, we're crushed under the weight of our own story. And so it's easy to focus on the details of, of our lives and just lose sight of God's bigger story in our lives. As we come into this Christmas season, you're going to be really busy. we got three weeks, right? Talk about a mad rush. And it'll be easy to, to forget to say thank you to God all that he's done. And the problem is, I think when we lose sight of God's bigger story, his bigger plan, we fall into the trap of believing lies. Let me give you an example. Have you ever ever prayed for something, a desire that you want God to do, and you just pray, and you pray, and you pray, and it doesn't seem like it's going to happen? You start to get discouraged, don't you? Start thinking, man, God isn't hearing me. Why isn't God answering my prayer? Maybe we get angry because He doesn't answer my prayer in the way I've prayed it. We get discouraged, and that discouragement leads to believing the lies that the enemy would like you to believe. That somehow in your life, you're on your own. It's all on you. You know, there's that that phrase that if, if it's to be, it's up to me. Well, that's not necessarily true. You're not on your own. You're not all alone. That's why I think it's important for us to stop and consider, consider who we are, consider who God is, consider what He has accomplished in our lives. And so I want to point us back this morning to the gospel. As we consider God's big story, we can rejoice in Him no matter the circumstance. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Thanking God in all the circumstances of our life helps us to acknowledge that our little story is only valid in the context of his bigger story, his purpose, and his plan, his gospel story. And for that, we can be truly thankful. So we're going to look at God's bigger story through the lens of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, So take your sermon guide out of your uh, worship folder there, and the, the verses I'll be reading are right there at the top. and You can follow along as I read. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And was raised up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them great words and you know as we stop and consider these words this morning in the context of of thanksgiving i think you notice that this passage doesn't use the words thanks or thankfulness or thank you but i believe it describes a reason to be truly thankful paul writing to the ephesians describes what it means to come alive In Christ. What it really means to be born again or saved or become a Christ follower. Life. That's something to be truly thankful for, wouldn't you say? Are you thankful for life today? This is one of the great passages in the Bible that that defines salvation. You know, a primary theme of the book of Ephesians is what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be one with Jesus. And the key word for the entire Book is unity. Throughout Ephesians, Paul describes the unity that God has with himself, and then he describes how that unity applies to unity in Christ between God and us, and then how that unity flows out in the body. We're unified together. God draws us all in unity with one another. So, what should we stop and consider this morning? about with this unity in christ well first i think if you've been around new life at all for any length of time you know that we talk a lot about life in christ living a gospel-centered life it's our dna our dna the the core values and beliefs and concepts that define everything we do as a church. And there are four building blocks of that DNA, and the first and most important is a gospel-centered life, keeping Jesus and His gospel at the center of everything we do. We strive to be gospel-centered, comprised of a body of gospel-centered believers. We want this church to be focused on Jesus and His gospel. Living with the gospel as a matter of first importance of our lives is a core value of this body. And so God's big story is the center of everything we're about. And so we also believe that having this gospel at the center of our lives determines everything else about who we are, about how we live. You see, what you believe will determine how you live. And we call that having a gospel-centered identity. It's vitally important for us to know who we are. Christian, do you know who you are this morning? Are you living with that gospel-centered identity in your mind and in your heart? What is a gospel-shaped, gospel-centered identity? Well, I think it means we see ourselves as God sees us. We believe who we are based on who says we are, and that, my friends, with the power of the Holy Spirit in us, that is the power source that helps us in overcoming the world, helps us... Overcome sin in our lives, and live a life of hope that glorifies Jesus. Who I believe I am, what I believe about who God says I am, directly affects the life I live, the deeds I do, the relationships I form, the choices I make in my life. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. free. Amen. We all believe a combination of lies and truth in our life. And so what I believe about God's power in my life is going to determine how I live. Do I live holy or do I live helpless? How are you living this morning? And that's what I want you to stop and consider today. That's what I want you to be truly thankful for this Thanksgiving season. I want you to be thankful to know who you are To be thankful, as Paul says, in all circumstances. Because I think if I know who I am, if I know who He is and who He is in me, then I'll know He hasn't forgotten about me. No matter what. No matter what life might bring. My Father hasn't forgotten about me. Paul describes this gospel-shaped identity in three stages. He first tells us who we were before being in Christ. And then he tells us who we are now that we are in Christ, and throughout the passage he shares how and why this transformation took place. So as we stop and consider reasons to be thankful this morning, I want to remind you first about who you were before being in Christ. We need to remember that. We can surely be thankful that this isn't who we are. And you know, if you've repented of your sins and believed the gospel and you become a follower of Jesus, then verses 1, 2, 3 describe your past. It's who you were. If you haven't believed the gospel and accepted the free gift of salvation in Jesus, then what Paul says right here is who you are right now. What does he say? He says you were dead. That's what he says in verse 1. Paul writes, "...and you were dead in trespasses and sins." Verse 1, and you, that's my past identity. That's who I was. And there was a time in my life when I was dead. That sounds kind of odd, right? In my life, I was dead. And I'm sure in your life, before Christ, there was no way we could connect with God or even know Him. I was lifeless. I had no response toward God. Why? I was dead. The complete rebellion in my heart was evidenced by the trespasses and the sins and the things I did. I was dead with no hope of life, no connection to life whatsoever, no hope of finding life. And quite honestly, I didn't even really care. I was doomed for eternity with no hope. Does that kind of describe who you were before Christ? Yeah. That's the trouble. That's the trouble with who we were. We were dead. You know, man's primary need and his trouble is not that he's out of harmony with his environment. Man's trouble isn't that he can't make meaningful relationships. Man's trouble isn't that he just needs more education or more refinement or a better opportunity or more money. Man's trouble is he's dead. Paul says he's not dead physically, but he's dead to God. His physical body is alive, but spiritually speaking, he's dead. So what does it mean to be dead to God? Well, let's consider physical death. You know, physical death is the inability to respond no matter what stimulus is applied. Physical death means you can't react. A dead man doesn't react to any stimulus And before Jesus, we were dead men walking. That was our identity. The dead man had no ability whatsoever to respond to God's love, His mercy. You couldn't hear His voice. You had no desire to know Him. Your life was not lined up with any of His desires, and maybe you didn't even care. Maybe you tried to create for yourself a life with various religious activities. But they failed, didn't they? Why? Because you were dead. And that's bad enough. Being dead, that's bad enough. But the problem, Paul says, is compounded by the fact that being dead to God means we're alive to something else. We're alive to sin. So not only could I not respond to God, but I wholeheartedly responded to something else that drew me away from God. Paul says we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, which means my lifestyle followed another path. I wasn't walking in God, I was dead to God, but I was walking in something else. And what were we walking in before we met Jesus? What was our lifestyle? Well, verse 2, he says, we walked following the course of, of this world. Our lifestyle was identical to the world. Every thought, every belief, every action was opposed to God. We fit into the ideology, the lifestyle of a system of self-centered worship. We followed, as Paul says, the course of this world. And Paul says, that's who you were. That was a world-shaped identity. That's who you were. Now, here's an important point with regard to this, is we weren't dead because we committed sin. No, we committed sin because we were dead. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, around here we have lots of newborn babies these days. God is growing New Life Church from the inside out. And interest, it's interesting that those precious little babies, oh, they're so cute, aren't they? We just love to cuddle them, wrap them up in little blankies. They smell like baby lotion. Oh, my gosh, they're so cute. and They just giggle and coo. At least, you know, if you're not the mom, they do. <laughs> Moms, you can, you can sure verify something for us this morning. As cute and sweet as they are, we just ask you, is that baby totally self centered, self focused? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Why? Well, because they're a baby and they can't really help themselves, but they're dead. Spiritually, they're dead. And as they grow older, when they get to an age where they can understand the gospel, if they don't choose to believe and follow the gospel, they will make life choices in their life that are going to draw them further and further away from the gospel. We don't sin and then die. We're born spiritually dead. And this is an important distinction because we're talking about identity. Who you are on the inside, let me tell you, it will translate to who you live, how you live on the outside. Jesus said what comes out of a man defiles a man, right? And we're dead. And that deadness, that spiritual deadness functions in sinfulness in my life. And anyway, when we think about sin, it's not really sin that we do that matters anyway. Sin is really about what we don't do. Romans 6.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as dead men, we were not able to glorify God. Sin is what we don't do. We don't live a perfect life. We don't live a holy life. We don't live for God's glory. That's the problem, and that's the issue. So there we were, dead men following the system of this world. That's who we were. But then Paul takes it even deeper. He says, because we not only walked after the pattern of this world, but we also followed the prince of the power of the air when you were spiritually dead you couldn't respond to the stimulus of truth so it was easy to believe lies and who's the father of lies satan paul says we followed the devil our identity was shaped by our father satan we believed what he believes we acted the way he taught us to behave I mean, who's behind all death and lies and destruction in the world? It's Satan, the prince of the power of the air. Satan, the leader of demons. He generates the system. He breeds the influence. Doesn't mean we're all indwelt by Satan, but what it means is we're all influenced by his ideology, his system. I mean, it's not hard to look at our world today and the culture of the world today and see that it's continuing to spin further and further and further away from God. Amen? Well, who's behind that whole system? He is, Satan. So Paul describes our identity before we believed God. He says we were dead following the course of this world, following after our father, Satan. And if that's who you are, he describes how you behave. What does he say? He says, we lived in the passions of our flesh, we obeyed the desires of our body and mind, and we were children of wrath. We were driven by cravings to satisfy our bodies. Just as Eve in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden, she saw that fruit and she craved that fruit. She saw that it was good to taste and beautiful to look at and it would make her wise at least she thought it would and so she acted on that craving well before christ your identity was just the same you walked in this system spawned and controlled by satan with the only goal to satisfy the desires of a dead heart this isn't a good situation it's a bad situation A dead man drowning in the sea of death, totally lost in the spirit of the age promoted by Satan. A child of wrath destined for the terrible, terrible judgment hall of God with no hope, no help, no way out. This isn't a pretty picture. Oh, that can't be me. Yes, that was me. And that was you. That was our identity because that's who we were that's how we lived every day. We walked around like we had it all together, didn't we? I got this. I got my plans. I, got, I know what I'm doing with my life. But our only hope was just for the wrath of God. Wow, Claude, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanks for the encouraging word, brother. Well, here's the encouragement. Praise God, this isn't the end of our story. Aren't you glad that this passage doesn't end at verse 3? Amen. Look at verse 4. But God, what great, great words. Verse 1 says, and you, that was my identity. Verse 4 says, but God, this is my new identity. How about you? We were a a mess headed for destruction. But God, I love that. Here comes the power. Are you ready? Here comes the power that's going to raise us up out of the dead, transforming dead men into new creatures, alive, full of life. Here it is. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with christ aren't you god glad god is rich in mercy he's overflowing in it the dead man i used to be deserved nothing but judgment but god gave me mercy can you say amen to that this morning amen Amen. (laughs) here's where we need to stop and consider and be thankful But God made us alive. What's the one thing a dead man needs most? That's right. It's not a coffin. It's not a 401k. It's not a leftover turkey sandwich, even if it's got the cheese melted on top. (laughs) A dead man needs life. Paul says, through Jesus, God made you alive. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, together with Christ. Believer, if you doubt the power of God in your life this morning, if you aren't convinced of your salvation, if you doubt that God could really forgive you and transform you because of the things you've done in your past, or maybe the things you're struggling with today, Paul says God made us alive together with Christ. The power of That raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the very same power that raises you from being that dead man walking to life in Christ. It's that same power. And Paul shows us here that we can have confidence in God's power. As a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you to get a grip on who you are. Understand who you are in Christ, what you've got. Believe in in who lives in you and what God's already done in your life. Salvation is unto life. He made us alive. Stop hanging around the graveyard. That's not who you are. You're alive in Jesus. Stop living in defeat to sin, depressed by your circumstances, discouraged by the results in your life. That's not who you are. You're alive. Jesus gives you eternal life. When you became a Christian, no longer were you alienated from God at all for any reason, in any way. You came alive. And so how do I know that I'm alive? How can I trust that that what you're saying is true? How do we know we have this gospel-shaped identity? Well, think about Your story. When all of a sudden you came alive through the power of God, you became sensitive to God. You know, as a spiritually dead person, you could have opened this book up over and over again, read it cover to cover, and not really understood it. But now that Jesus is living in your life, the Holy Spirit is in you. You can open His Word and you can understand what it says. Yeah, that's what it means. I mean, you might not understand all of it, but you start to get a hold of it, right? you find yourself able to read His Word and kind of figure out what He's saying? Immediately when you became a follower of Christ, you had a, a brotherhood, a family. There's this, there's this bond, this connection between followers of Jesus. We're family. And I immediately felt that connection. And most importantly, I think, how do you know you're alive? Well, that dead heart that couldn't love Jesus now loves Jesus. Your dead mind which couldn't even consider Him now from time to time you think about Him. Those dead hands that, that couldn't touch Him now reach out to Him. You know Jesus. You know, before I knew Jesus Christ was a follower of Christ I couldn't interact with God God at all, but now I just long for His presence, don't you? Boy, that's living. Anybody alive in here this morning? Amen. Praise God. God did that when He made Christ alive. You know, He made us alive together with Him. We were there when He rose from the dead, we were there when He came out of the grave, we were there when He raised Him up. God's power has already been displayed on our behalf. That's who you are. That's a gospel-shaped identity. As Paul describes this gospel-shaped identity, he just keeps piling on the good stuff. Listen, he says, But God, by His grace we are saved. But God raised us from the grave. But God put us in a seat with Jesus. But God gave us faith. But God created us as a fine crafted instrument for good works that glorify him all these things Jesus has done in you and for you let's just look at a couple of these verse 5 he says we're saved what does it mean we're saved think about it like this you were drowning in a sea of death but Jesus pulled you out of the water The house that you had built was burning down to the ground and Jesus came in and carried you out of the burning house. The choices you made led you out onto a craggly ledge that was ready to fall into the abyss and Jesus reached out His hand and He pulled you in. He saved you from destruction, not because you deserved it, just because He wanted to. By His grace, we are saved. Verse 8, Paul says, it was through His grace not our works. It's a gift. This is the gospel. It's a gift from God. It's all about Jesus and not about us. We bring absolutely nothing to the table. It's all him. It's all him. It's all him. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. A dead man gets a death paycheck. Jesus gives us life. Verse 4, Paul says it's through his great love. You know, the Bible says, greater love has no man than this but to give his life for his friend. And what is love? I mean, sometimes it's an emotion, right? But all the time, it's active engagement in another person's life for their good. And Jesus acted totally for your good. Love is the tangible force of, the tangible power of God that transforms us into this gospel-shaped identity. The ability for us to live a gospel-shaped identity is only through His death, burial, and resurrection. The work of the gospel is the power of God to transform us. So can we stop this morning and consider the great love with which He loved us? Does that give you cause to say thank you? We were dead to God, unable to respond to Him. That was my identity. That was my world-shaped identity. But God, being rich in mercy, gave us a gospel-shaped identity. He gave us life. And clearly that's something to stop and consider. For His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, God prepared beforehand that we should work in them. Prepared beforehand. Boy, that's just beyond understanding. Paul says this whole plan, the gospel story and our part in the story was beforehand. Not just before we were alive. Ephesians 1, 4 says before He created anything else. Let's consider what that says. That says God invested thought in you, intention in you before you existed think about that. If you're being beaten around by the world this morning, you're in a cage match and life has you in a submission hold, let me tell you, think about this. If God planned you, if God planned your life before time, that means life's a pretty big deal. That means your purpose for living is a pretty big deal. You mean something to God. That's why if you're a follower of Jesus, no matter your circumstance, you can praise Him and thank Him for this transformation. As we soak in this gospel-shaped identity, I think it changes our perception of what life is really all about. The desire for sin in my heart dies. The desire for Jesus swells up in my heart. So as I close, let me just share with you how we know that what God says He will do, He is going to do in you today. Verse 7, He says, So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us. God has given you this gospel-shaped identity, and He is crafting you into a beautiful masterpiece for His glory. By taking the dead man that you were and transforming you into a forgiven saint, son, child of God that you are. For all eternity, God is going to hold you up to whoever he creates, wherever they are, and to all the angels throughout all eternity. And he's going to say, look at my child. That's you this morning. He's going to say, look at my child. He was dead, rebellious, apart from me. But through my infinite grace and mercy, look how I've transformed him. Amen. We're his badge of honor this morning. For all the ages, we're going to be a a, a physical picture of God's grace and his mercy. You can trust that his gospel is true. His story is true. The bigger picture is true. And you were dead. That was your identity, but God made you alive. That's your gospel-shaped identity. What you believe about who God says you are will be how you will live. And this is so important. Let me encourage you to spend time studying what God says about this gospel-shaped identity. You know, Pastor Steve did a great sermon on this topic back in August of 2012. Let me encourage you to get on the New Life website and listen to that sermon and print off his sermon notes and spend time rediscovering who you are in Christ. Because I don't know where you might be struggling today. Maybe you have no struggles, and praise God for that. But maybe you're believing the lies of the enemy about who you are, about who you're not. Maybe you're feeling defeated by, say, by sin today. Maybe you're in a situation that seems overwhelming. Your job is stressful. Your kids are making poor choices. Your parents might be divorcing. You have serious health problems. Your finances are a mess. You're lonely. You're depressed. You're discouraged. You're worried about the growing danger we see around in the world. I don't know where you are. But let me assure you, things are not what they seem. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He calls this life we're living a momentary affliction. I mean, 80 years compared to eternity, I'd call that momentary, wouldn't you? In Luke 10, 20, Jesus said, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Is your name written in heaven this morning? Amen. Let me encourage you this week to just stop and consider. Believe the truth again in your life about the gospel Believe what God says about this new identity He's given you, who you are in Him. And He'll complete that work that He started in you. As you live every day, this week and the weeks ahead, especially during this Christmas season, I want you to just stop and consider. Stop and consider who you are. You're a child of Jesus. You're a child of God, destined for His house. And that is the big house. You're a child of God this morning. What are you thankful for? As I pray, the worship team is going to come and the prayer team is going to come forward, our prayer partners. And if you don't know what I've been talking about this morning, if you don't have this gospel-shaped identity in your life, you don't know Jesus, you can come forward and talk with one of our prayer partners, and and they'll be happy to pray with you and help you understand the, the truth of the gospel. This morning, if you're just struggling in some area of your life, and you're just needing somebody to pray with you, please come forward and pray. If you just want to come and just thank God for all He's done in your life, by all means, do that. So as we pray, Jesus, I just thank you this morning, Lord, for your gospel. I thank you, God, that This gospel-shaped identity that you've given to us is all you. It's your story, Lord. This morning, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, we will just stop and consider. We will remember who we were, remember how horrible that was, and remember how glorious it is to be your child, to be loved by you, and to live in your presence. We give you all the praise. And glory in Jesus' name, amen.